beautiful people. Welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. As I've been preparing for this podcast, I've been in awe that we're already in the last week of October and headed into the holidays quicker than any of us are even ready for, even though many of us will be good and ready for the year 2020 to start coming to a close. I will say, though, I think if you and I were honest, this year has brought an abundance of things that have turned out to be for our good. Even though it's been extremely hard, there are so many things that I know that many of us wouldn't trade now. Even though our circumstances have been hard, I do feel like in many ways it has brought some of us closer to the people that God intended for us to draw closer to. And even in the hardships we've been able to share with others out of this vulnerable and transparent place that I don't think we would have had before all of this. You've got to hear that in the sweetest way when I had my friend Melinda Mayton from Blue Skies to share about her heart for families going through pediatric cancer and how she trusted God from the very beginning with watching that dream of hers literally unfold, but also how she's learning to trust Him now. And part of the way she's doing that is just from this transparent place of sort of opening her hands and her heart and saying, Lord, you gave me this dream, and I believe you're going to help us through this current storm. I wanted to remind you one more time about giving to Blue Skies, this precious ministry that helps hold these families up above the clouds of pediatric cancer to Blue Skies and providing beach vacations, a time to get away together and be refreshed, to be sung over, even if it's virtually, as well as sharing about the abundant love of God over them while they're resting with their toes in the sand. Our goal is to help Blue Skies reach $100,000 to cover operating costs so that hopefully in the future, we can all get back to a place where we can go to camp together. Imagine that and be the hands and feet of Jesus to these families. So this is your last reminder to give before the drawing where there'll be three winners. If you give $100 or more, you'll automatically be entered into this giveaway. If your name is chosen, you'll get a lovely basket full of some of my favorite things from Franklin, as well as a lovely Glorious in the Mundane coffee mug and sweatshirt from our online store. And also when we have books in hand, you will get a signed copy of my new book called The Life You Long For that releases in February. So just simply go to blueskiesministries.org and you can give in the top right-hand corner. Well, it's been so strange because I remember all too well four years ago when I prepared for the episode that would fall right around November 3rd as I was recording it. And I was well aware by the time it would hit your ears that we'd all be sitting in the decision that had been made by our country. And here I am again, as many of you might not hear this until after we're already sitting in the aftermath of this controversial election and how it's all going to unfold. But there might be some of you who hear this and have days yet to ponder before you vote and you're feeling a bit at a loss. Well, I hope that what God has put on my heart is relevant before and after November 3rd. You know me well enough by now that I'm not going to get political on you today, but I do feel a pressing on my heart to encourage you to hopefully be a voice of peace and clarity, hope, and rest. I have to be honest with you, and I've sort of alluded to this in some previous episodes, but I have truly wrestled over the last several months on how to best steward this podcast and the many responsibilities that God has gifted to me and carrying a ministry of both music and even getting to teach His Word in a public space. 
I know that you have wrestled hard too with all that you're carrying and how you're supposed to use your voice in a space that feels almost impossible to know how to speak up in. Well, in the wrestling, I believe that God has helped me to find even more what running in my particular lane looks like. And for the most part, I've realized that when it comes to controversial conversations and topics that hit all the hot buttons in culture these days, it's simply not my lane. This isn't a cop-out, trust me. This is me very much owning my lane, and I'll explain that a little further here in a minute. And here's what's really important. When I own my own lane, it makes me all the more grateful for my friends that are owning theirs, especially those who do specifically feel called to more of the front lines in terms of those controversial conversations and topics. So it's a good thing to be able to see each other and how our roles and lanes are different, specific even, and each one of them most certainly relevant. I just had this conversation with my brother and sister-in-law as we went for a weekend visit to see them and their three girls and the two new additions to our family, which are two golden retriever puppies, Duke and Emmy. There's nothing quite like puppy therapy in these days, I will say, (laughs) for real. It's amazing what a furry little creature will do for your blood pressure. And as I looked at their sweet little puppy faces, I couldn't help but think, God dreamed this up just for us. Anyway, it says a lot about his heart to me. But after breakfast one morning, we sat around the table with all the kids and we got into a great discussion with them about the last several months and even the tension that they are no doubt seeing and feeling around the election. And my brother, Eric, began to ask each of the kids how they're feeling about everything. And it was so enlightening to just to get to hear from their hearts in that moment and to be able to give them a voice at the table that moment. It was a safe place for them to be heard. Each of us contributed to that conversation, and my contribution was around what I just shared with you, the pressure I have felt to bend and adjust who I am and what I feel called to do in order to have a voice at the table, but in a not-so-safe place, a treacherous place even, a roundtable that threatens our core beliefs, it puts our faith on trial, makes us shrink back in fear sometimes. But what's even worse is when we give in to this pressure, pretty soon none of us are walking fully in what we're designed to fully walk in. Kristen, my sister-in-law, shared a really great illustration at the table that you might have heard before, but I never heard it. And I thought it was so profound and closely connected to the matter at hand. But what if you and a group of friends were sunbathing on the bank of a river one afternoon and suddenly you saw a baby being carried down this river? by itself, just floating down this river, you would no doubt all dive for the baby and rescue it, right? But what if as soon as one of you got a hold of that baby in your arms, here came another one, and then another one? Pretty soon, you'd all run out of arms because the babies just keep coming. But then one of you would realize that you need to get quickly organized as a group to get a handle on this tragic situation. This person points out the people who seem most equipped to stay and catch the babies, while she appoints a few women who she knows are equipped to run up the river to see how these babies are ending up in the water in the first place so that they can hopefully nip it at the source. Well, as the babies are crying and carrying on, there would obviously be a group of women who would start getting those babies out of the water to tend to their needs. They'd start drying them off, calming them down, nurturing them in every way possible. There'd even be a group as they were holding babies who would realize that they'd need to start thinking long-term about how they could help these babies heal from this terrible trauma. 
That's such a vivid illustration, but I guarantee you're already visualizing exactly where you'd be in Operation Baby Rescue. I can even think of my friends and women in my community, and I could tell you exactly where each of them would be. You might even know what group I'd be in. I'd be one of those nurturers with the lullabies flowing, already thinking of ways that we could ease the trauma moving forward for these little ones. What a great picture of how each of us in staying true to our callings and our skill sets and our stirrings that God has put in us can play a life-saving, life-giving role. Think about it. The entire operation would simply fail or at least be very weak in a crucial stage of the rescue if we're not playing our part and confidently running in our lane. Sadly, our world feels a bit like this chaotic scene right now, doesn't it? Trust me, you're not alone if you feel heavy-hearted and even a little bit lost for words in these days. You know as well as me the temptation every day to look to the left or to the right and become absolutely discouraged and diminished even by what we see, rather than getting alone with the Lord and asking the Holy Spirit to whisper, this is the way, so that we can walk in it. It's where I sat at the beginning of planning this episode with my hands literally covering my eyes saying, Holy Spirit, you show me the way. This definitely feels like an all hands on deck moment in history, one that requires all of us to take our place at our post and not give up, no matter how bleak it may be. With that in your mind, listen to Romans 12, three through eight. This section is titled Gifts of Grace in my ESV translation. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I hope this encourages you to endure at your post, doing and most of all being who God has called you to be. If we were all the same, all doing the same things, I believe our ministry of restoration and reconciliation on this earth would have gaping holes. Today, I would love to encourage you in a time where much emphasis, well, all the emphasis in fact seems to be put on our citizenship here on earth. I want to remind you yet again that you are a citizen of heaven. Yes, there is an earthly government and it is really important. But ultimately, there is a heavenly government that is over every other government, and it belongs to Jesus, and His government never ends. Again, this isn't me avoiding hard conversations. This is me trying to be faithful in my lane today. I'm going to go ahead and get into our Hebrew letter and our passage today, because as always, I do believe it meets us right where we are today, as God's Word never returns void. Our Hebrew letter this episode is the letter Ayin. Like our very first letter, Aleph, Ayin has no sound on its own and mostly has a vowel associated with it. The meaning of the letter Ayin is I or to see, and it also means to understand and obey. 
According to HebrewForChristians.com, in the scriptures, God's intimate knowledge of our lives is sometimes referred to as the eye of the Lord. Adonai's eyes are in every place, observing both the good and the evil. That's Proverbs 15.3. And then, of course, one of my favorite passages is 2 Chronicles 16.9. I've said this before many times. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show Himself strong to those whose hearts are blameless towards Him. This doesn't mean a heart that is without blame. No human is without blame. It just means a heart that will turn toward the Lord and look to Him for our all, even our righteousness, which means we believe on Jesus for our righteousness and then our blame is taken away. So this is us looking to God for our everything. He is our defense. Beloved, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere and He sees you. He's even on the edge of His seat, ready to defend you and sustain you and deliver you and even show you the way to go, even show you the way to vote. And if you will pause and put all your hope in Him today, He will respond. With that said, this is the word of the Lord over us today. Psalm 119, 121 through 128. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. I don't know about you, but I can't help but feel a bit vindicated by our singer as he says in verse 121, I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. I think we all know what it feels like when we're just simply trying to do the right thing in these days, but it just doesn't seem right enough. We still end up feeling oppressed by our oppressors. Seems that people stand ready to heckle us at every turn. And then it gets confusing, right? Because even Christians are disagreeing and heckling each other. And how do we know who's right? The only way to know that we have done what is just and right is that if our grid for what's just and right is the Word of God, our backstop is His Word. And no, it's not the popular thing at all for the Word of God to be your backstop. Not only is it counterculture, it's become in many cases counter church culture. The singer cries out again in verse 122, give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. I looked up that word insolent just because I wanted the specifics. It means showing a rude and arrogant lack of respect. I'm heartbroken that immediately. I'm thinking about a very public bashing I learned about only recently by one believer to another on social media. I wonder if you're like me and you're sitting here thinking, wow, I could be completely going about my business of what I feel and know to be right and what God's called me to do, and then get completely bashed or even canceled in the culture we find ourselves in. I think, first of all, that we have to remember who the real enemy is and what is really at play when we see these outbursts. I believe the scheme of the enemy here is to stir up the fear of man in us and to confuse everything we know to be true. 
No wonder the singer cries out in verse 123, My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Here we have this tie-in to our Hebrew letter, the eyes. The singer here admits a longing that is, I think, familiar to most of us. We're looking to God, looking with longing for Him to show up in these days, yet our eyes are also weary from the headlines, the tweets, the front page stories, the public bashings that break our hearts and send fear of our spine even. Beloved, we were simply not created to take in all that we can now take in, even in an hour's time. Charles Spurgeon says of this verse that eyes are tender things, and so are our faith, hope, and expectation. And I'm going to venture here to say that what our eyes take in begins to have a profound impact on our faith, our hope, and our expectation. I was sitting with a friend the other day, and she was kind of appalled that I didn't know about some happenings in the world that had been going on for the last week or so when we were sitting there. And I kind of laughed and said, I'm sorry, I've just kind of been living under a rock. And she looked at me and said, no, it's more like a boulder. (laughs) But as I think back on that conversation, even now, this friend I was sitting with is hands down one of the women who would be at the source of that river's mouth that I mentioned earlier. She'd be climbing over everyone trying to figure out how those babies were getting in the water. And me, I'd be down at the other end, living under a boulder, apparently, because I don't necessarily need to know how the babies are getting in the water in that moment. I just need to be focused on how these babies can recover and heal from the trauma the water caused. But I'll say this, no matter what our lane or call is, our eyes are tender things, and they are being weakened, even on the brink of failing And we must learn to put away distraction, at least for part of our day. I'm going to get motherly with those of you who are younger than me and sisterly to those of you who are my age or older. Make sure that you're taking a good part of your day where you're putting away every distraction. Make provisions to put away your phone and any other form of media that feeds you information. I know that some of you need your phones because your kids communicate with you and there are emergencies and things you have to tend to with work, but anything outside of that, I challenge you to fast from it in these crucial days. This will be the first time that we have a voter in our household besides just Nathan and I, and you can believe that we are encouraging Noah around these same principles. We tell our kids this all the time. It's impossible to get the whole truth unless we set our eyes on what builds our faith, our hope, and our expectation, and it is the Word of God. You might have to fast from seeking other people's opinions right now. Yes, we should listen and seek to understand others with kindness, but I encourage you to put your hands over your weary eyes in this moment and say, Holy Spirit, whisper to me. Tell me which way I should go. Verse 126 probably stood out to me the most for this episode. It's time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. I'm sure that my grandparents and their parents had seasons of their lives, even as it pertained to our country, that they sat and prayed, it is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. And I don't hesitate one bit to say that I believe this is our time to pray this prayer. I want to read real quick just what Charles Spurgeon had to say about this verse in particular in his book on Psalm 119 called The Golden Alphabet. He says this, 
David was a servant, and therefore it was always his time to work. But in being oppressed by the sight of people's ungodly behavior, he feels his master's hand is needed. And so he appeals to God to work against the workings of evil. People make void the law of God by denying it to be God's law, by spreading commands and doctrines in opposition to it, by setting up tradition in its place, or by utterly disregarding and scorning the authority of the lawgiver. Then sin becomes fashionable. A holy walk is regarded as contemptible puritanism. Sin is seen as pleasure and vanity leads the way. Then the saints sigh for the presence and power of their God. Oh, for an hour of the king upon the throne with the rod of iron in his hand. Oh, for another Pentecost with all its wonders to reveal the energy of God to opposers and make them see there is a God in Israel. Man's extremity, whether of need or of sin, is God's opportunity. When the earth was without order and empty, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Should He not come when society is returning to a similar chaos? When Israel was brought to its lowest point in Egypt and it seemed that the covenant would be void, then Moses appeared and worked mighty miracles. So too, when the church of God is trampled down and her message is derided, we can expect to see the hand of the Lord stretched out for revival, the defense of the truth, and the glorifying of the divine name. The Lord can work either through judgments which hurl down the fortifications of the enemy or by revivals which build up the walls of His own Jerusalem. How wholeheartedly we can pray for the Lord to raise up new evangelists, to quicken those we already have, to set His whole church on fire, and to bring the world to His feet. I love that. We can wholeheartedly pray. And before you feel a sense of lostness and hopelessness and that being any kind of answer right now, (laughs) I want to remind you of something incredibly powerful about your prayers that you might not even know or you've forgotten. I'm going to go to Revelation 5, 1 through 10, which might feel like a leap from Psalm 119 and the world we're living in, but I want you to be encouraged that you can wholeheartedly pray and that your prayers are being heard. I actually read this passage before on this podcast when we were talking about the role of prayer in worship. First of all, the book of Revelation was written by Jesus. I love that. Verse 1, chapter 1 says, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Also inside of this book, we have John, who we talked about in the last episode, who literally made his identity in the Gospels completely wrapped up in the fact that he is loved by God. He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we talked about the beauty of Psalm 25, 14. The Lord confides in those who fear Him. He makes His covenant known to them. The book of Revelation is a beautiful display of this as Jesus uses John confiding in Him here. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. I have to point out that John most definitely had to have put away all distractions to be in the Spirit. I love it. Aspiring to the unseen for Jesus to be able to say, write what you see. Again, we want to be looking upon what builds our faith, our hope, and our expectation. 
John says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. We're watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy right now with our girls, and last night was the scene when Gandalf comes back from the dead, from defeating the great demon of the underworld. You know the scene where he puts his staff in the ground and screams, You shall not pass. And as the demon falls, he takes Gandalf down with him at the very last second, and the two fall into the depths of the earth. And you think that Gandalf is gone forever but yet he returns as Gandalf the White, appearing first to the hobbits in the forest and then to the others, clearly depicting Jesus, the risen Lord, as I'm having to use self-control and not jumping out of my comfy chair and cheering during the movie and embarrassing my daughters. (laughs) But you get the picture here. And the friendship and the fear of knowing this risen Lord, John is writing down what he sees and Jesus is giving him a glimpse into how all of history will come to a climax. In chapter four, John begins describing what he sees, a throne in heaven and that there were seated around the throne, 24 elders and they were enthroned. And then there were heavenly creatures hovering who never ceased to sing day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then in chapter five, John says that he sees a scroll and the right hand of the one seated on the throne. It had writing on both sides and was sealed with seven seals. And he says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look inside it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside it. Then John says, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb who appeared to have been slain standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one of them had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And by your blood, you purchased for God those from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God and they will reign upon the earth. 
And then we move on to chapter six, and I promise I'm getting somewhere with this. John tells us that Jesus begins to open six of these seals of the scroll of history and what each of these seals are to release upon the earth. But when we get to chapter eight, John says in his vision that when Jesus broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. He says, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer and much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and he filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So we see something truly astonishing here. God has preserved the prayers of the saints. This is such good news if you're like me and you wonder if your prayers are even being heard or you're tempted to think, you know, God is sovereign anyway. What good are our prayers? First of all, one thing that I know to be true is that prayer changes us. It shifts our perspective. It sets our eyes and our hearts on whom we put our hope and our faith and our expectation in. And secondly, not only are our prayers heard and preserved, they are sitting on the altar of God before His throne. This should encourage us greatly, like Luke 18, 1 says, to always pray and to not lose heart. Our prayers are not pointless. They are being preserved and will ultimately play an extremely important role in God's kingdom coming to earth. This passage gives us insight into the extremely gigantic and historical importance of our prayers, like literally at an appointed time, Our prayers will be what is poured out upon the world to bring God's purposes and His promises to completion. Beloved, He hears you. I love how it says that when Jesus opened this seventh seal, that all of heaven went silent for half an hour. That's a long time for silence. But it is the end of the age unfolding and the beginning of a new reign unveiling. It is worthy of a great pause, but isn't it also wonderful that not only are we seeing the sovereignty of God here, we're seeing the sensitivity of God. I believe this is His way of showing us that our prayers have and will always matter to the very end. Leon Morris in his book, The Revelation of John, says of this passage, The saints appear insignificant to men at large, but in the sight of God, they matter. Even great cosmic cataclysms are held back on their account, and the praises of the angels give way to silence so that the saints may be heard. So in light of this, beloved, I encourage you, put away every distraction and put your prayers in the bowl. You can air out everything you need to with God. He will not cancel you. He will not oppress you. He will not heckle you. He loves you and he wants to hear from you. And if you ask him, especially when you lay down your own way and your own will, he will show you the way to go. 
What should you pray really quick? Here's some helpful prayers, especially if you're on the go and you're busy. You can utter these simple prayers that you know have a full heart behind them. The first one is, God, let there be light. The heart behind this prayer is that God will expose every evil at every turn and that His light will reveal any places of darkness. I prayed this over my children. I prayed it over my children's friends, that God would expose every shadow with His pure and glorious light. We can pray this over our country right now, over our presidential candidates. In Jesus' name, God, let there be light. Expose evil and cause every bit of darkness to come into the light. Here's another one. God, turn back our hearts. The heart of this prayer is repentance in our own lives and over our nation, over our government, over the church. Acts 3, 19 through 21 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We need those times of refreshing. Amen. And also Proverbs 14, 34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is reproach to any people. Here's another prayer. God, teach us to fear you. Another part of Psalm 25 says that those who fear the Lord, God will instruct them in the path chosen for them. It says that those who fear God will abide in well-being and that their offspring will inherit the land. Remember, this isn't a spirit of fear. This is a reverent obedience that recognizes God as holy and otherly. And now that we know that he's the great prayer preserver sitting on his throne, he's not phased one bit by the chaos of this world. And then when you pray, don't just pour out your own petitions, but ask the Lord to speak to you. And this is the last prayer. God, teach us to hear you. God, teach me to hear you. Take time to listen to his heart when you ask him to reveal the way in which you should go. I'll close with this. Just the other day, I was listening to some 20-somethings who were out here at the house hanging with our 20-year-old. And they were talking about the craziness of this election. And one of them joked that it feels like the election should just go down like that show called The Masked Singer, where the contestants have a huge, ridiculous costume on that hides their true identity so that they're chosen for their singing ability alone rather than their looks or their vibe. And it made me so incredibly sad, both how this didn't sound too far from our actual craziness of our reality, but also that these are the conversations that our young people are having and what they're having to navigate on a daily basis. As I mentioned, Noah is a voter this year, and I will tell you that he voted early. He did not hold that responsibility lightly, and I'm very proud of him for the way that he wrestled with it and how he was even disheartened by it. I told him that it shows me that the Spirit of God is in him because if we're not disheartened in these days over what's happening across the board in both parties, then I'm not sure the lights are on or anyone's home. But even more than hosting conversations about voting, our hope is to point Noah to God, that God and His Word is always the place that Noah will be able to go and rest his weary eyes from all the headlines and the TikToks and the chaos. We pray that our home is where he will always hear the truth the whole truth, nothing but the truth, to experience the peace that passes all understanding and the hope that builds our faith and our expectation for what is to come. To remember that our true citizenship lies in the unshakable kingdom of God. When Noah has had really specific questions in this season, Nathan has spent time with him hunting those questions down in the Bible like quite literally, and they've used the message version, and there have been many 
oh my gosh, is that really in there moments? Even for Nathan, who's read the scripture since he could read, he's had some, oh my gosh, it really says that moments. I truly believe this is why Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible and why David so passionately sings this song, because it's where we can go in order to know where to go. This leads me to verse 127. It says, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. My prayer for my kids is that they will come to know at a very young age that nothing in this world satisfies. I do pray that God will be merciful to them in their discovery, but that God will set a deep love for him inside their guts, deep inside of their will, and that his word will become the grid for their lives, like what they base everything on and that they will cherish him and his word above anything this world could offer them. And my prayer for all of us in these days is that we would set our eyes on Adonai. This name of God means master and sovereign Lord, the one whose eyes never grow faint or weary. In fact, they are roaming to and fro, ready to respond to a heart that turns towards him and says, God, show me the way to go. I pray that we will put away every distraction and put our prayers in the bowl. Yes, we should cast our vote here on earth, in our land, for our country. It is never something to be taken lightly. But wow, most importantly, I hope we're putting prayers in that bowl all at the same time in this moment. Prayers like, God, let there be light. God, turn back our hearts. God, teach us to fear you. God, teach us to hear you. Prayers that even now are being preserved on the altar before the throne of God. Prayers that will alter history and usher in the glorious government of God that has no end. I'll talk to you soon. 